Well, good morning from me also. I hope you're doing really well today. Um, not only is the sun shining, but Formula One is back on our TV this afternoon. Um, barring Grand Prix this afternoon. Um, if you're anything like me, you'll be looking forward to that. It's my guilty pleasure. Now, this morning, I'd love to talk to you about waiting on the Lord. We're not very good at waiting are we? If I were to write a list of things that I genuinely enjoy doing, um, watching the Grand Prix would be up there, waiting would be right down there. I was sat in a waiting room just this week, actually, and, and I genuinely thought, this is the place where dreams die. <laughs> we're not good at waiting, are we? And did you know that the close button, that little, that little round button with the two arrows pointing inwards, that is the most pressed button on any lift because we don't want to wait for the, for the doors to close in their own time as they're programmed to. And if you have locked yourself out of your phone any time recently, you will know that that wait when it says, your phone is disabled, try again in five minutes, which happens every day of every week with us with sticky three-year-old handprints all over it. Um, it just feels like an agonizingly long wait, doesn't it? And not only are we rubbish at waiting, but, but we do the weirdest things when we wait, don't we? We, um, we pace. I'm a pacer. When I'm, when I'm on the phone and, and waiting and on hold, I just pace up and down the kitchen and, and we bite our nails, weird one. We, um, we reload and we refresh our phones and our computers and, and we all know, don't we, that it literally gets you nowhere, but we still do it every time. And uh, if you're anything like me, you record TV shows um, so you can fast forward through the ads um, and so you can get, get to the, the juicy bit even quicker. And we switch lanes, don't we? I'm married to a serial motorway lane switcher all the time, can't decide where he wants to be. And, and I am a supermarket lane switcher myself. I'm an Audi shopper. And um, my tactics are, I mean, if you shop in Audi, you'll know that it's like an extreme sport queuing an Audi. And um, my tactics are that you, you fill your trolley. You do, that's the easy part, actually, when you're shopping in Aldi. And then you get to the till and you're just met with, like, lines and lines of people. And so I sort of peruse up and down and I get an idea of, like, the competency and the speed of the cashiers. And, and I have a little look at what people have got in their trolleys and, and I try and work out how many people are in each line and how, how quickly people are going to be at packing their bags. And then I make an informed decision. I choose my line and I wait and sometimes there's that awkward moment where they tell you they're opening a new line and you're like, do I stay? Do I go? Do I stay? Do I go? But I go through all of that just to minimize the amount of time that I have to wait because I hate waiting. We hate waiting, don't we? And I'm not sure if any of those coping mechanisms ever actually help us deal with, with waiting itself. But we seem to convince ourselves that we do, don't we? And we all, in a sense, are waiting for something, whether it's, whether it's big or small. Maybe you're waiting for a job. Maybe you're waiting for a house. Maybe you're waiting uh, for some exam results or some medical results. Maybe you're waiting to start watching Formula One Drive to Survive Season 4, which just came out this week. Or maybe you're waiting for breakthrough in an area that you've just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for. At the start of December... Um, Literally the day after we bought our youngest, she's, she's three and a half months old now, Tilly. The day after we brought her home from hospital, we were sat at the dining table and um, we noticed that the floor had started just to rise slightly. There were some little bubbles over, um, um, sort of un under where the table was and, and we could smell this really faint smell of damp. And um, so, you know, we did what all good homeowners did and we completely ignored the issue for as long as we could. And <laughs> over time, throughout the Christmas period, like the, the 
the, the floor was rising more and more. And we were starting to think, oh, this could be a problem. And the smell of damp was getting stronger and stronger. And so eventually, literally the day after Christmas, we managed to wait to, to, to Boxing Day. We started just to lift up one panel and we, could, we peered underneath and we just saw that the floor was soaking wet. And, um, and piece after piece we took up and, and eventually we realised that essentially the whole of the water storage, I think that's what it's called, tank in the loft, had been emptying into the ground, the ground floor of our sort of main living space every night. I think it's something like 200 litres. And so our floor was soaking. And so, so we had to rip it all up. And basically since the end of January... We've had no floor and our house has been dusty and damp and smelly and we've got a newborn and, and a three and a half year old and we have lived with the sound of three industrial sized dehumidifiers day and night for weeks and if you know, you know because that sound is awful. And not only have we had no floor, but also when we've had various people in to come and, come and assess the leak, they've like dug channels out through the floor and holes and, and there have been little pipes poking out and... Um, let me tell you, navigating no floor and on top of that, holes in your floor with pipes poking out of it with a very inquisitive three-year-old boy is very hard work. Every morning we'd come downstairs and I'd have the same conversation with our three-year-old boy, Jack, and I'd say, you know, Jack, as you know, we've had a leak. He actually called it a lake, bless him. He, um, he, whenever anyone came to the house, he'd say, would you like to come and see our lake? It felt like a lake. It was just a leak. And... Um, he would, you know, we would come down the stairs and I'd say, now, Jack, I know it's really exciting. We've had this leak and there have been lots of people in and out of the house. And, um, and you know, there are these holes and I've told, mummy's told you they're very dangerous and you're not to touch them. If you can just play over this side of the room, you know, we've popped your toys over here. We've made it nice and fun and nice and safe for you. And um, obviously he'd listen to us um, and... I mean, he absolutely didn't. He's a, he's a cheeky boy. And we would turn around after five minutes and he'd be like building bridges over the holes and like shooting over the holes with his, his little red toy car. And um, once we caught him like, you know, with his little plastic toolbox with his head torch on, mimicking what he'd seen some, some sort of the, the leak detection guys do. And, and it goes without saying, I'm the first to admit that, that we will be winning no prizes for risk assessments in our household anytime soon. To be honest with you, it has been absolute carnage and we have felt totally out of control. It, it totally took us by surprise and the last three months um, have felt like the longest three months of my life. They've really dragged. It's felt like an endurance test. Like we've been waiting an eternity for this floor to dry so we can get a new one down. And I am so excited to say that tomorrow, the 21st of March, our new floor is going down because <laughs> it's all dried up. And after a very long wait, we're getting a floor back. And, um, you know, for us today, it feels like Christmas Eve. I'm not even joking. And, and if the last few months have taught me anything, it's that I am pants at waiting. I'm really not good at waiting. I found myself just so unpresent. I don't want to be in the moment. I've wanted to fast forward time and skip to the nice bit with the fixed floor where I can have people over. You know, we are not good at waiting, are we? If something is broken, we can usually fix it pretty quickly, the exception of our, our floor, it seems. And um, we live in an instant society, don't we? Instant is just one of those things we prioritise. We want things quick. We want things instant. We want things now. We want things at our fingertips. You know, we've developed hot water taps. We don't even have to go through the whole, like, four-minute process of filling up a kettle and boiling a kettle and making ourselves a cup of tea. We can literally make a cup of tea in one-minute flat if you want. You know, we have access to 
everything through the tap of our iPhones. And, you know, if you don't want to follow my Audi expert advice, we don't even have to queue in a supermarket if we don't want. With other people, we don't even have to encounter a cashier. We can do the self-checkout because we want things fast and we want things now. And really, we just want to be in control. And so when I read passages in Scripture that tell me to wait on the Lord, I kind of don't want to read them. And I also kind of don't know necessarily how to translate that into my everyday because I am so bad at waiting. I do everything I can to avoid waiting unnecessarily. But, but we see characters waiting throughout Scripture. Israel, they were crying out to God for deliverance for a really long time. Abraham and Sarah waiting longingly for a child. Noah, he waited for the rain. Joseph waited to be released from prison. And the list goes on and on. And actually, this is something Mike spoke about just a few weeks ago. He spoke about the promises of God and how that so often there's this, there's this really long delay between the promise of God and the fulfillment of that promise. But you know, the truth is, waiting is inevitable. We'll always be waiting for something. I hate to say it, but as soon as our floor is done, we'll be waiting for the next thing. And, and I don't know if you find yourself in a season of waiting today, um, but if you're not, and I'm very sorry to burst your lovely bubble, but you most probably will be soon. And, you know, I think as a people of faith as well, there's this added complexity because it's not just waiting for stuff. It's not just waiting for things to happen, but, you know, it's waiting on him. It's waiting on God. And sometimes when we're in, stuck in these seasons as well of, of waiting on him, we have, we have the strangest habits too, just like we pace and we bite our nails and we reload and refresh and lane swap. You know, when we're, when we're waiting on him, we, we start doubting. We doubt whether we even heard his voice in the first place. We doubt his calling on our lives. I do that all the time. We doubt his promises, his plans, his timing, and, and we wonder and we wither and we get tired and grow weary. But actually, when, when I look back over my life, I can see that some of the most beautiful things God has done have been out of a season of waiting. And, you know, thinking about it, I don't know of a single person who has an authentic, intimate relationship with Jesus who hasn't walked through a season of waiting. You see, there's this undeniable link between seasons of waiting and seasons of transformation. We see it all throughout Scripture, and I know it will be true of so many of us in this room today, too. I was remembering just the other day, actually, that um, I'd just finished school. I was 18, and um, I was at a church service, and then just like we do here at Soul Survivor, there was a time for ministry at the end, and, and I'd been sitting all the way through the church service thinking, um, I'm going to go forward for ministry, because I was really trying to work out like what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I didn't know if I should take a year out, if I should go to university, and if I went to university, what to study. I didn't know if I should leap into the working world or train in a specific profession, and, and I was really looking forward direction, to be honest. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with my life. And um, I was like, right, I'm going to go go forward for prayer and hopefully someone will have like a really specific word from the Lord and I will know exactly what to do for the rest of my life. And so I was hedging my bets on this slightly and, and, and I went forward and I was there and I sort of put my hands out with so much expectation and this lovely lady started praying for me and um, she said, oh, Hannah, I've, I've got I've got a word for you. And I thought, oh, brilliant. She's going to tell me what to do. And then she said, I've actually got two words for you. And I thought, brilliant, two words. I wonder what it's going to be. And, and she said, I've got these two words for you. And they are wait well. And I was so disappointed. <laughs> I was so disappointed. I felt like saying, I'm so sorry. But was there anything else? Like a little, you know, anything else slightly more specific? Um, 
But you know, as much as we're conditioned not to wait by the world that we're a part of, we know that waiting is inevitable. It's inevitable. It's always going to be a part of our walks. So this morning, I'd love us to have a think about that very thing. I'd love us to think about how we can wait well. The Bible, on many occasions, calls us to wait on the Lord. And believe it or not, we are not the first people who had to do this. The disciples, their first command from Jesus after he left, it was to wait. It's fascinating, isn't it? The very first thing they were told to do was to wait. It does not sound glamorous, does it? So we're going to turn to Acts 1. If you have a Bible or, or a phone, feel free to get it up. But just before we dive in there, here's a little bit of context around this passage. Acts 1, this is the period between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. It's, it's about a 40-day period. And, and we pick up in this passage on an occasion where Jesus and the disciples are sharing a meal together. And the conversation starts to turn to what will happen when Jesus ascends into heaven. So let me read from verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples, they were told that they would be Jesus's witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, um, the responsibility of, of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ was down to them. It's a pretty cool mission, huh? And I can imagine they were raring to get going. You know, they'd been following Jesus for some time now. They'd, they'd been handpicked by him, trained by the man himself. And, and you know, they, they were probably already plotting and planning and getting an idea of where they were going to go. They probably got their maps out. And um, maybe they were going to get out of Jerusalem because that's where Jesus had just been crucified. That would make sense. And perhaps some of them had started to, to pack their bags and, and get an idea of how they were going to do the journey. Maybe they'd start to type in postcodes into their sat-navs. And, you know, Matthew, he was a tax collector, so I'm sure he'd built some whopping great big Excel spreadsheet with like a budget. And, you know, they were, they were raring to get going. They were, they were, in their minds, ready. But they were told they had to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And, and you'd sort of assume with the calling as cool and as pressing as that, that the first thing they would have been told to do would have been to go, but they were told to wait. Their first command from Jesus was to wait. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't want the gospel to spread to the ends of the earth. He, he really did. But it's that he knew that it, it would never happen without the power of his Holy Spirit propelling it. And so there's, there's this delay that the disciples get caught up in, which, which I'm sure that they find super frustrating, like we all do with delays in our life. But, you know, it was that very delay, that very window in which they were empowered to fulfill their calling. If the disciples had attempted to fulfill this by themselves, they totally would have failed. But Jesus, he, he wasn't going to send his disciples out into the world like underprepared or unprovided for. He was, he was sending them help. He was sending them his power. He was sending them his Holy Spirit. But it did not come as they went. It came as they waited. Let me tell you, 
We're in very good company when we're told to wait. We might hate it, but we're in good company. It's the very first thing that Jesus told his disciples to do in their ministry. And we see it throughout scripture too. So how do we wait well? I've got three quick points. Number one, strengthen yourself in the Lord. In many parts of the Bible, when it's talking about waiting, it talks about strength. Uh, Like the two sort of go hand in hand, like one is totally dependent on the other. And we know, don't we, that waiting requires strength. If the last few months have taught me anything, it's that I'm incredibly tired and that I need him. But sometimes like the notion of waiting, when you think about waiting, you maybe think about, you know, someone sat on a comfy armchair, feet up, twiddling their thumbs and be scrolling through Instagram, just waiting for something to happen. But waiting on the Lord is totally different. Whenever it's spoken about in scripture, it's presented as like this, this active thing, this, this active waiting. It's seeking his face. It's trusting his plans and, and his promises and his timing and trusting the process and walking with him through it. It's holding onto the promises of God when stuff's just not planning out, panning out in the way you'd like or in the timing you'd like. And there's loads of times in scripture where actually waiting and strength are talked about hand in hand. And one of the most popular ones that probably comes into your mind is Isaiah 40. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You see, there's this strength that comes as we wait on him. It's active waiting. God's promise of his very presence is a promise of his power, his strength. And how does it come? It comes as we wait. And the reason the disciples were told to wait was so that they could receive strength from the Lord to fulfill their calling, to fulfill the very thing that they've been called to do. And and in the same way, it's as we wait that we are strengthened to fulfill our callings also. And waiting leads to strength because strength comes from him. It's, It's drawing near to him and drawing near to him. The promise is that we will be strengthened by him. It's that beautiful verse I just read in Isaiah 40. Let me read it again. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. I don't know what you need strength for today. Maybe like me, you haven't slept in three and a half years. Maybe... I really haven't. Maybe you have a really difficult situation at home or at work, or maybe you've got this huge life decision you need to make. Maybe you're navigating a relationship breakdown, or maybe you're just dealing with a load of disappointment and frustration. What do you need strength for? Those who hope, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It's a promise. It's one of his promises. And you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there which overpromises and underdelivers. Um, Red Bull, my favorite Formula One team. I'm very sorry, Hamilton fans. But, um, but the drink, I've tried it and I still can't fly. And I've tried it and like I just get this sugar come down after 30 minutes. Over promises, under delivers. Radox bubble bath, smells lovely, does not do what it says on the tin because it really can't undo the three years of no sleep I've had. What do you need strength for? He says, he says today, If you wait on me, if you come to me, if you be with me in my presence, there's this strengthening that will come. You know, God's greatness is not just that he is strong, and he is, but it's that he's strong in us. It's that he's strong through us. It's that he's um, working in our weakness. And it's as we wait that we receive that strength. And the measure of the strength he gives us, well, in Isaiah 40, if we read on, it says this. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow faint, walk and not grow weary. 
I love that verse. I think the imagery is just stunning. And I did some digging about why Isaiah chooses um, an eagle of all things um, to, to depict strength. And so I take um, no credit for this information I found on Google. Eagles are born with large, heavy wings. However, unlike other birds who flap their wings in order to stay in the air, eagles stretch out their wings and hold them still for the purpose of soaring. In order to become airborne, an eagle waits for large atmospheric gusts of wind called wind thermals. Sometimes an eagle will perch and wait for days to catch a wind thermal that can carry it. Storms provide excellent wind thermals, hence an eagle will deliberately seek out a storm rather than avoid it. It knows that by enduring the temporary atmospheric adversity, it will be projected to clear peaceful skies above. If an eagle flaps its wings unnecessarily during flight, the excessive use of energy could cause them to die. Interesting, huh? In other words, eagles are pretty powerful, strong, big, awesome, complex creatures. They know what it is to wait. A storm doesn't catch them out. In fact, they wait for them. They can literally soar above the storm just by stretching their wings out, by waiting for the wind. They don't flap. Goodness me, I love to flap. <laughs> I'm the world's biggest flapper. We try, we try to flap, don't we? We flap and flap and we try to do it in our own strength. But that is the measure of strength that the Lord gives us as we wait. It's to soar on wings like eagles. And I just love that imagery. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. We don't need to flap. We don't need to strive. We don't need to try and do it ourselves. How do we wait well? Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Secondly, trust his timing. As a family, um, we've just uh, entered the stage of long car journeys where we're asked, the moment we literally put our keys in the ignition, this like, head pops back, pops around from the back and says, are we nearly there yet? And um, in that passage we've just read from Acts 1, the disciples, they, they asked that question right at the start. And to be honest with you, I think I would have too. Let me read verse 6 again. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, and I can almost hear my mum voice saying this exact line. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus literally offers no direct response to their, are we nearly there yet question. He just tells them they have to wait. That's all they know. You know, this is what they know so far. They know where to wait in Jerusalem. They know what to do, which is to wait. And, and you know, they know what they're waiting for, the Holy Spirit. He just missed out an important piece of information, which is how long to wait. And so the disciples, they have no, no idea how long they're meant to wait, if they're meant to wait, you know, a day or a month or a year or 40 years. And it's often the same for us, isn't it? Like, life would just be so much easier if we just knew when stuff was going to get moving, when stuff was going to start happening, when stuff was going to get better. But it seems to me that trusting in his timing is just this huge part of learning to wait on him, of learning to wait well. You see, that's what trusting the Lord is. You know, waiting on the Lord is trusting the Lord. Trusting on the Lord is waiting on the Lord. It's trusting his plans. It's trusting his timing and trusting his process. And, and what he wants from us is to learn to trust him. But if you're anything like me, sometimes I find it so difficult to do that the moment I... I feel like I'm stuck or the moment I feel like things just aren't moving or the moment I think, I think that things aren't going my way or maybe they're not happening in my timing and sometimes I just have to remind myself over and over again that he knows me and that he knows what he's doing. 
As a parent to a growing three-year-old boy, I'm regularly asked the question, can I have a snack? Actually, my husband asks the same question regularly too. And I don't know why, but, but those questions in both of their cases often come like 10 minutes before dinner's ready. And so um, to make sure he can really enjoy his dinner and eat the good stuff, I say, Jack, if you eat your snack now, you'll spoil your dinner. So why don't we try and wait? And obviously he's as good as gold and he listens to me every time. <laughs> he doesn't. Um, but the point is, is that I know what's coming, right? Like, I know that the good stuff's coming. I know that what's coming is better for him than what he wants now. So I want him to wait. And sometimes I think maybe that's what God's saying to us. You know, as we question his timing or if he's even going to show up, he knows what's coming. We're not going to catch him off guard. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's for dinner. And in the same way, he doesn't want us to ruin what's coming. He doesn't want us to ruin what he's planned for us. His idea of the perfect time may not be our idea of the perfect time, but his timing is good and his plans for your life are perfect. So trust his timing as you wait. And then finally, worship him. I don't know about you, but I think one of the most tempting things to do um, in seasons of waiting or, or in seasons where it just feels like I'm trudging along is just like to tap out, to like completely disengage, to stop seeking him, to stop spending time with him, to stop being thankful, you know, to stop worshipping really. And I suppose what I want to say here is, is that as you wait, keep worshipping him. Praise and worship, it's blessing him for what he's done and for what he's doing and for what he will do, even if we can't see it right now. And most of the time we can't. God doesn't stop working when we're waiting. He's still good. He's still faithful. He's still worthy. And he's, he's still at work. And the enemy wants nothing more than for us just to like tap out, to disengage, to, you know, he wants to distract us and for us to take our eyes off Jesus. But worship is our weapon Praise and thanksgiving, they're two of the most powerful weapons that we have. And looking again at that passage in Acts 1, the disciples, as they waited for the Holy Spirit, um, they, they prayed, they worshipped. Let me read verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. As they waited, they joined together constantly in prayer. Again, it's this like active waiting. It's as we wait, we praise him. As we wait, we thank him. As we wait, we remember what he's done. As we wait, we remember his faithfulness. And as we worship, we see his goodness. We see him move. We look up. We, we shift perspective. You know, even in the waiting in seasons of, of trial and hardship and disappointment and confusion, he's still good. And choosing to worship him is one of the most powerful things we can do. In Colossians 1, uh, verse 11, it says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. And I, I love that verse because there's this correlation between endurance and gratitude, this correlation between endurance and worship. And I just want to take a moment here to say that, that this bit, like worshipping through really painful, hard situations, worshipping in the waiting and worshipping when it just feels like life is trudging on and, and not getting any better is, is really tough. 
Um, and I, I know that life is tough for a lot of us in this room right now. And people are walking through very real and very painful stuff. And actually the waiting just really hurts. I just want to acknowledge that that, that, is, that is hard. You know, um, our youngest daughter, Tilly, she's three and a half months old. And she was born in early December, just before Leak Gate. And um, we, it was like day 10 of her life. And um, we got a call from Great Ormond Street saying that something had flagged up in her heel prick test. And they called us in immediately and they started to explain to us that she had a genetic condition and that it meant that essentially... Um, she has to spend the rest of her life on an incredibly restricted diet in order for her, her brain and her body to, to develop in the best possible way. Um, and so uh, since then, we've been working with a team of dietitians to make sure that she's doing as well as she can be. And thankfully, she's doing really well. She's hitting her milestones. And we do a couple of blood tests a couple of, week at, a couple of weeks at home and send them off a couple of times a week at home and send them off to the labs at Great Ormond Street. And they let us know how she's doing. And... Truthfully, there's still this, this area of, of unknown, really, as to if something wasn't right or if, you know, if, if she wasn't developing in, in the normal way or the right way, when we would know, when we would see. And I, um, I was at Great Ormond Street the other day and I asked the consultant, you know, when would we know, what do I need to look out for, when would we know if something isn't, isn't normal? And he said, you, you just have to wait and see. <laughs> And again, I was rather disappointed with that answer. I was expecting something more black and white, but, but that's the truth of her condition. We just have to wait and see. And I was on the train on the way home, and I found myself saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to have to wait and see. Like, I want to know what's going on. And um, how do I do that well? Like, how do I just wait and see well? And I felt like he said to me, just enjoy her. Like, look at her. She's, she's like... She's your daughter. She's beautiful. She's smiling. She's hitting her milestones. She's, um, you know, she's, she's thriving. And just enjoy her. Celebrate the small wins. Look at what's in front of you. Just enjoy her. And actually, similarly with the leak for us, um, I must have been having a good old moan, as I do to my friend about it. And I probably likened our experience to that of camping because everything we have is sort of all crammed into one room and we don't really know where anything is and... Um, everything's damp and I don't know. I must have just been having a good old complaint and I said, it feels like we're camping in our own home. And she texted me a couple of days later and she said, I'm just praying that you find lots of hot chocolate and schmore moments as you feel like you're camping. In other words, enjoy it. And I suppose that's what I think about, that's what I think it might look like to worship him in the waiting and especially when it's really tough, you know, however hard it is, whatever, whatever your stuff is, you can still enjoy him. And even though the pain of waiting may feel huge, and maybe it feels heavy, enjoy him, give thanks, worship him, seek him, lift your eyes and watch him move right in front of you. Because he's still moving, and he's still working, and he's still good. Just enjoy him. So there we go. How do we wait well? Strengthen yourself in the Lord. As you wait, he will strengthen you. Trust his timing, trust his plans, trust the process and worship him. Just enjoy him. As we draw to an end, you know, if you read on into the next chapter in Acts 2, you see the promise of Jesus fulfilled and the disciples having waited, just like they were told, they're filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You know, the very thing that they'd waited for had been fulfilled and it was beautiful. We're all waiting for something, aren't we? But God is not 
absent in our waiting. It's the very place where faith grows. And actually, sometimes the miracle isn't the thing we've been waiting for coming to pass. It's not the miracle prayer we've been praying being answered, but it's often the faith that's been developed in the process. And we as his people, we can wait in anticipation that he will fulfill his promises, that he will show his faithfulness and his goodness in our lives, because that is who he is.